Good morning. You may want to go ahead and take the Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be there in just a couple of moments, but uh, we want to continue our, our theme on Advent. And, and again, the, the, the whole meaning of Advent, it means arriving. Uh, it means the dawning of something that is not yet fully here. It means a, a beginning of something that we haven't fully had manifested or experienced. And so we use the days approaching Christmas to anticipate what the real meaning of the birth of Jesus is and what that really means to us. So I was thinking, you know, what kind of parallels the excitement or, or could illustrate the excitement that we have with, with Advent? And the craziest illustration came to my mind of a snow in Atlanta. Uh, when we, all they have to do is just announce on the news, we could possibly have snow. And Atlanta goes crazy. Now, we get about, what, one snow a year if we're lucky? And I know if you're from up north, you're going, come on, you got to be kidding me. But we, we get excited in Atlanta. The kids get giddy. The parents, uh, they, they kind of get excited, and yet they're kind of, you know, trying to figure out what are we going to do here. And for some reason in Atlanta, um, milk and bread sells out. I, I don't know what the deal is. With COVID, it was toilet paper, but with snow, it's milk and bread. It sells out. And everybody kind of gets excited, anticipating the fact that the snow is going to come, because we only get just one a year, maybe. And the morning of the snow arrives, and so, you know, everybody is looking at the window. The kids' faces are pressed up again. They're waiting for that that first indication, that first little flake to come down, and soon enough it does. And as it begins to build and begins to accumulate, everybody gets really excited. The kids go out and play and make a mess and come in and destroy the house. And then it's over and we clean up. Uh, it's kind of like Christmas Day in a way, you know, just boom, kaboom, and then we clean up. But there's a lot of anticipation about that, that snow that's going to come. So when we think about the advent of Jesus, what comes to mind? What exactly are we talking about is arriving? Now, the Sunday school answer is the baby Jesus. You know, the baby Jesus is going to be born. And, but, but we understand that Jesus did come as a baby, but he grew up. And his mission wasn't to be a baby. His mission was to be Savior, Lord, the sacrifice. He arrived with a purpose. And when Jesus begins to preach, when you go through the Gospels, you see a reoccurring theme. In fact, he kind of picks it up. John the Baptist begins to announce this, and Jesus comes and says, what John was talking about is here. And what he announces is the coming of the kingdom of God. The arrival of God's kingdom is dawning upon us. When we think about the kingdom of God, Probably all kinds of images come up of what the kingdom of God might be or might look like, but we're not talking about something that is far out in a distant universe behind some galaxy or nebula that we just can't see. It's not a geographical location so much as it is, as Chris many times defines it, it is where the will of God is done. It's where God gets his way. It's where God rules as king. And so more than a geographical location, it is a spiritual, emotional uh, experience that, that human beings can experience even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of this world, we can begin to experience the kingdom of God in our hearts by surrendering and making room for him to rule and we begin to taste the kingdom of God. Now, one day it's going to be fully consummated. It is going to be a geographical. We long and look for that, as we talked about last week. But the, the dawning of the kingdom of God that Jesus began to announce is where God's will is done. And the good thing is that God is a good God. 
a benevolent, loving ruler. And his will, as Paul points out in Romans 12, is good and acceptable and is perfect. But honestly, there have been a few occasions, more than a few occasions in my life where God's will and my, my will get in conflict and they are opposed. And on the earth, we look around and we go, is God's will really being done everywhere? It's not. And what happens when our will and God's will get in opposition, there's the absence of peace. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is peace. Part of the celebration of Advent is the dawning of God's peace upon us. And so instead of peace, many times in this world, there is turmoil, conflict, struggles internally as we go through battles within. There's battles in our world with neighbors, people in the community, just pick the news up or look at a website if you dare. And there's not a morning that goes by, including this morning, that you don't look at the news and go, there was conflict in a city. There were battles in cities and warfare going on around the world. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at it in just a moment, when the angels come and they speak to the shepherds of all people, the shepherds were outcast, and they come to these outcast guys and they say, we've got a big announcement for you. We want to explain to you what's going on. We want to announce the birth of Jesus. Listen to the announcement and look for some keys that are in here. We're in Luke chapter 2. Beginning, I think it's verse 8. And in the same reason, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." And when the angels went away from them back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. One version takes verse 14 and says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. God's desire, his longing of his heart in the purpose of the advent of Jesus is to bring peace to mankind. And that peace is the result of his favor. And that's the, the word favor is another word for grace. It's a gift that God brings and he gives to those who receive the reign of Jesus in their, their heart. And that's his desire. It's his desire for us internally. It's his desire for us in relationships. His desire for us on earth is peace. But let's be honest, when you think about 2020, it's not exactly the year of peace, is it? It's not going to go down in the history books. Oh, the year of peace, 2020. Not going to be that the case. When we look at the world, there's anything but peace. There's a lot of conflict. I did a little bit of, of research this week just to kind of find out what's going on in the world in the way of warfare and conflict and the absence of peace. And I've got a couple of pictures I want to show you a graph. The first one is a map. If you put that one up there, that's a map of the world. Eh, kind of make it out. The main, the main thing you see, though, is the places where there's conflict. Those Countries that are marked by the dark brown, by the red, the orange, and the yellow, 
is where warfare is taking place and casualties are accruing. Uh, the darker brown means that there's more than 10,000 deaths that have happened because of warfare. One of the things that surprised me, this over here, that's Mexico. I thought south of the border, what war is going on south of the border that had over 10,000, actually 11,000 casualties last year? And it's the drug, with, it's the drug war. It's the war with a cartel in between cartels. Over 11,000 people last year lost their, lost their life in battles with a cartel. Uh, the red is up to 10,000 uh, deaths. The orange, up to 1,000. And the yellow, and there's a couple of countries that are yellow there, kind of goldish looking, are what they call skirmishes where 100 people lost their life. Since the year 2000, over 2 million people have died in war. Last century, get this number, 160 million people died in the 20th century. Two world wars, Vietnam, so many other skirmishes. When I began to kind of research back through history, all the different battles, all the different wars, I'm going to tell you, I got sick to my stomach. How many people have lost their lives? Totally disruption because of war. The second slide that I want to show here is the state of global peace in 2020. Yeah, you can see this one a little bit, a little bit better. And they go from the less peaceful, which are, again, the darker red, to all the way through the, the yellows and the oranges, which means there's a good bit of, uh, kind of in the middle, I guess you could see. And then the green ones are more peaceful states. And this is kind of measured on acts of violence, not necessarily warfare, but violence, crime, deaths because of violence. And what was disturbing for me, maybe disturbing for you too, when you look at the United States and we're right there in the middle. Of, of just being less peaceful, the state of peace. The final one kind of zeroes in on the United States, and this is political violence. And this was just last summer from May 22nd to August, or May 24th to August 22nd. And just during the summer months, this is where there was political violence last summer. Open conflict, some of the, the little um, indicators there, uh, it says of battles. There were actual battles between armed groups. One of the things that disturbs me about our country is, you know, I, I support the reason for the, 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 the right of people to demonstrate, to, to protest, and to, to let their voice be known. That's part of our freedom here. But uh, when, when they both show up armed to the teeth, it gets scary. And it's in, inevitable that there's going to be battles. Uh, violence between uh, violence against civilians show up. The riots are the orange ones. I think you can maybe make that out in green or uh, protests that turn violent. And that's disturbing. The threats, the, the encouragement of violence that have taken place have really disrupted peace. If I've learned anything, and if we've learned anything, is that peace does not come by crushing your opponents and crushing the people who disagree with you. It just builds resentment. It's not going to come through a rant on social media. It may make us feel better to slaughter people uh, verbally, but it doesn't leave a wake of peace behind it, anything but. It's more like a boat that comes in the marina way too fast. You ever seen that? You know, they yell at you in the marina when you do that because the wake behind the boat disrupts and damages everything that's in there. And so many of man's efforts... Uh, in the world today is like leaving a wake of destruction behind us. Um, it's not going to come through rants on the social media. It's not going to come through the election of a political party or a candidate. Sorry, it just, it just doesn't do that. We've seen that. And, and, and when I put these maps together and I looked at the state of the world piece, 
There was a thought that came to me, and I think it was from the Lord. And the Lord said, if I took a picture of your heart, Scott, if I put it up on a screen in front of everybody and it was a map of your heart and it showed where there's conflict and where there's peace, how would your heart look? And that's a little bit disturbing. I do not have that picture. <laughs> Sorry. And you don't want yours up there either, more than likely. <laughs> because an honest answer is, you know what? There's some sections of my heart or my life or time that have that I've been anything but peaceful. There's been turmoil there. The need of peace is an internal need. And the peace that we want to experience in the world begins inside of hearts. And that's what the Lord is promising for us. Listen to this promise in Isaiah chapter 9. It gives great insight about peace and how peace is experienced. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. These are his royal titles, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. His, the prophecy of his birth, of his advent, his, his coming upon us is that he will be a Prince of Peace. Now, that looks great on Christmas cards, you know, and on decorations, but that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking here about a radical mission that Jesus was on, uh, a divine conspiracy, if you will, a revolution that will bring peace. And the message here connects us with the mission. Jesus came to invade our lives, to invade our world, to pierce through the darkness and bring something into our life that cannot be experienced and made by man. And it's peace. He's called the prince of peace. Now, we know, we know what a prince is because we've all seen Disney movies. A prince becomes what one day? The king. He is the king. And here is a king of peace who has a kingdom of peace that he desires for us to experience. If you enter into the realm of the king and his kingdom, peace rules and peace is experienced. Peace is experienced when the government is upon his shoulder, which is a way I interpret that to mean he's in charge and he's ruling and we enter into that. A lesser known prophecy that I want to read is out of Micah chapter 5 verse 4 and it describes the rule of King Jesus. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This explains that peace is not found in a place or a program or a plan. Peace is found in a person. C.S. Lewis wrote, and I'm, I put this in here for Chris. Since Chris is not preaching, we need at least one C.S. Lewis quote. So Chris, here, here it is, buddy, okay? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Real peace is found in Jesus. And the advent of Jesus, the advent of his kingdom, moves our lives inside the borders of the realm of his rule, where he's ruling, where we can discover peace. Or better yet, let me just say it this way, when we welcome the king and the kingdom into our hearts, he is a good king, and he brings peace. Peace is not found apart from him. We 
When we allow the jurisdiction of the kingdom, the domain of his rule to enter our hearts, peace is found no matter what's going on in the world around us. And that's the beauty of it. That's the promise of it. That's the hope. We look at the crazy maps a minute ago. We look at the world. We look at our to-do list, and it could rob us of peace real quick. But what he's saying is that peace can be found in the midst of the craziest of the world because peace is an internal invasion of Jesus coming and putting things in order. The kingdom of God, the scripture says, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you hear the description of the kingdom? The kingdom of God's not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word for peace, it's, a, it's kind of a cool word because it's like aloha. You can say it coming and you can say it going. And even today, shalom, the Hebrew word for peace is used as a greeting. When I was in Israel, I would hear people say shalom back and forth to one another. It was kind of very cool to hear that. But the word, it means more than just, you know, hey, chill, dude, peace to you, man. It means completeness, wholeness, healing, good welfare, contentment, well-being, to be fully satisfied and rest. It's a very powerful word. The word shalom is deeply rooted in the idea of healing, wholeness. Shalom speaks of wholeness, a fixing of broken things, including hearts and lives, in every aspect of life. Shalom speaks of wholeness in our hearts before God, solace in our bodies, in our mind. And it's a beautiful greeting. It's much better than live long and prosper, you know. It's, it's, it expands way beyond that. It's an eternal blessing. Peace, shalom, God's peace be upon you. In many churches, this has become a part of the liturgy. They actually have a time, and we've done this before, that they stand up. This is back when we could touch each other and hug one another. Remember those days? And we would stand up and we would give, grant peace to one another. We'd say, you know, peace be with you. And we'd exchange that and say, and with you. And it's a wonderful peace blessing that is given that is something very deep. It's an inner personal dimension of wholeness, mentally, emotionally, a sense that everything is going to be okay because God is in charge. Let that soak in a minute. He is in charge. When David wrote Psalm 23, he had this in mind. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want I shall not be shortchanged. I shall not lack. I shall not end up empty. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters where he restores my soul. One of the reasons that David could pin this, and I've had the Psalm 23 just on my heart, just been praying and meditating on it for a while now, digging in a little bit deeper into this, David could pin this because his description of being at rest and being at peace was because the Lord, Yahweh, was his shepherd. Yahweh is one of the names given to God that God gives of himself. Actually, it means I am that I am. Remember when he spoke to Moses? Moses says, hey, you want me to go down to Egypt? Who do I say sent me? And God says, you tell him Yahweh sent you. I am sent you. I am that I am. Uh, Someone translated this a little bit better. I think, my being sustains my being. 
I am, I exist, I always have, I always will. I need nothing to make me exist. I am the source of existence and from me exudes all of creation and everything that there is. Dallas Willard writes, God does not have a shortage of anything you can think of. His riches in glory are endless. Now, for a moment, just use your imagination to begin to, to try to imagine Yahweh, the creator of God, in this way. He says, God is not worried that he's ever going to run out of something. How different from the world that we live in. We're afraid we're going to run out of milk, bread, and toilet paper, you know. <laughs> You're never going to run out. He's not worried about it. Never going to happen. Our God is really, really, really big. He is an unlimited God. He is a glorious, self-sustaining, eternal being who is the source of everything. David says, that is my shepherd. He is the one who, out of his mere nature, pours forth life in infinite quantities that are incomprehensible, everlasting, unceasing, and will never be exhausted. Again, Dallas Willard, his book, Life Without Lack, powerful book. But it paints a picture. It helps us understand that God exists. He has always existed. He is the one who loves us and created us. And from his, his being flows life and flows life and flows life. And it will never be exhausted. And he delights in giving that. C.S. Lewis says, in God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled. Only, catch this word, plenteousness that desires to give. That is Father God, that is the Lord. One thing that Advent does is help us slow down enough to begin to reflect upon that, that that is, that is our God who gives us peace. That is our God who sustains our life. That is our God who is there. And as we reflect upon that and really just let soak in that reality, slow down enough to soak in that reality, it begins to disarm the resistance that sometimes builds up in our heart and remove the obstacles that get in the way. And it makes room for God's reign because he is a benevolent, loving God. One of, one of the greatest thinkers um, and theologians of the world, I think, is, is uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we spent a little time studying Paul this year. He's a great missionary, church planter, theologian, thinker, brilliant, one of, you know, one of the most powerful Christians to ever live. And I love the fact that although we hold him up as a giant, he, he doesn't hold himself up as a giant. And he's very humble and he's very candid about his struggles. He's very transparent and vulnerable in his discussion in Romans chapter 7 when he openly admits the greatest battle that I face in life is the battle in my own heart. Amen. Yeah, the struggle that goes on here. It's like a war that rages in my own heart, my own mind. It's like a civil war. And it's, it's, it's going on. You know, the brain's talking to us. The emotions are struggling this way. And we have this tension. And he's honest. He goes, I go through this battle. It drives me crazy sometimes. I'm kind of transliterating and translating what he is saying there. On one hand, I really desire the kingdom of God because it's good. God's rule, I want that. But at other times, I want my way. <laughs> at other times, I want to do my thing, which is the exact opposite of God's. And these, these competing forces and struggles go on within me, these desires and attitudes where I know that what I'm desiring and, and wanting to do is opposite of God's will. And yet in my heart, I look at God's will and it's good and acceptable and it's perfect and I delight in it and I want that. I hate 
this struggle. And I, I, I read that and I go, me too. Amen. I understand that. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I find that very, very, very uh, encouraging and honest and helpful because it allows us to admit our struggle and our lack of peace at times. And Paul ends this with a cry in his heart that you can hear the desperation. He says, who can set me free from this? Who can set me free from this battle? Who can get me out of this internal war zone? Who can bring peace to this, this internal civil war, this struggle that goes on? And if he ended right there, it would be a bad day, but he doesn't. He goes on and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He goes on to say, because of what Jesus has done in chapter 8, if you read it and unpack that, because of his, his, God sending Jesus, him taking our sin, our rebellion on the cross, dying in our place, paying the penalty, and winning the battle on the cross, there's no, the, the, the sin is punished there. And I have no condemnation. I'm free. He goes on to make a very important point, though, in this chapter. I encourage you to read it later. We have a choice. We have a choice. We can set our mind, our heart, our attention, our focus on sin, on getting our way, on feeding our own flesh. And he says the end result of that's a dead end. It's just a dead end. It's death. Or we can set our minds, our heart, our focus, our attention on life in Jesus and allow and welcome the control, the activity of the Holy Spirit to speak, and the result is life. I'll, let me just read his words. They're much better. For the mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and, say it with me, peace. peace. There it is. We have a choice. There is a struggle. There's a battle. We're going to go through this until glory on earth. But there's victory in found in Christ, and there's peace. In Isaiah 26, Isaiah wrote, You, God, will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast or set upon you. So I encourage you to use these days of Advent to work for you and not against you. It's very easy for us to get caught up and allow Advent and the Christmas season to work against our soul, to do damage. I was uh, talking with a couple this past week, and uh, they were just talking about how crazy and hectic their life was. I mean, just like everybody, they, they're working, they're paying bills, keeping things at the house you know, in order. They're taking care of family members and sorting through all the different responsibilities that they have and also preparing for Christmas. And they go, they go to a church. I love their church. It's a good church. But they say, you know, our church decided this year to really assign a bunch of reading assignments and homework and meetings to discuss the homework that we're going through. And we're all a part of this. And there's extra fellowships that we're attending and potlucks that we're supposed to attend. And it's to get our focus on Jesus. And we are exhausted. We're overwhelmed. We were behind in our readings, and we feel bad when we show up to the groups and we haven't done our, our readings, and we're just kind of ashamed, and we're just embarrassed by this. And, and we were talking, and I thought, in the, in the, the shepherds were in the field, and the angels came, and they announced to them, I've got an announcement for you. The Lord has a really long to-do list for you. <laughs> no. They announced peace. They announced peace. He has made you for himself. 
He is coming to bring his kingdom and all that his kingdom includes into your heart and he welcomes you to come to him. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened or heavy laden. It's a good verse for Christmas, you know. We ought to put that on our Christmas cards. And he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke. Yes, yes. Doesn't that sound good? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He wants to lift the burdens off. He wants to lift us up. And sometimes, I got to tell you, we have to say no. Do even some good things in order to say yes to the most important things. I am reminded so often of Jesus' visit to the temple. Everybody went to the temple to worship, and Jesus shows up one day to the temple, and it's hectic, and it's crowded, and they're selling and marketing stuff, and it's just, it's, it's just chaos. And Jesus deliberately, intentionally, passionately, and forcefully cleared it out. He said, this temple was made for more than that. This is to be a house of prayer. This is to be a place of fellowship with the Father, a place of connection. And you've turned it into a mall, a crazy mall. We have to be just as passionate, sometimes just as forceful and deliberate, and remind ourselves that we, we were made for more. We were made for more. And we can easily spend our life into things that are going to not be here, not going to really amount to anything in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We were made for more. To have fellowship, to be the dwelling place of God, the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes almost with surprise, what, don't you realize you are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Advent reminds us of that. It helps us clear out room for his rule. We have to be intentional about it. Last year, John Eldridge, the guy who wrote Wild at Heart, some of you guys have been through Wild at Heart, he came out with another book called Get Your Life Back. Uh, good title, and he came, this is before COVID, you know, and we're going, yes, I want my life back. But he, he wrote this book called Get Your Life Back, and in it, he practiced, he, he shared a practice that he and his staff discovered a couple of years ago. And he said, this was a lifesaver, but it was so simple. But they began to practice this, this, uh, this one particular exercise, and it's called the one-minute pause. And what they would do is they would set reminders to go off during the day, maybe two or three times, just to remind them to pull aside, stop all that they were doing for a couple of minutes, and just pause. A simple practice to take one minute Take a few breaths and reconnect with God. And it consists of three things, very simple. You may want to jot this down, write it down, but it's pretty easy to remember. Three things. The first is letting go of things. Letting go. Take a deep breath. Let it go. He calls it benevolent detachment. And what this is, is not some new age deal. It is it's biblical. It's giving all of your cares and worries to God. Exactly what scripture says, give all of your cares and worries to God. Why? Because he cares for you. And so it's stopping and saying to the Lord Jesus, 
I give you everything and everyone. I lay it down and give it to you. And maybe specific burdens, struggles you're going through at that moment that you say, Lord, this problem here, I let it go. I give this to you. I let go of this. I lay it down. So let me just ask you right now, what is there in your life that you may need to just let go? That you need to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm letting this go. I'm, letting, I'm laying down this person. I'm laying down this struggle. I'm laying down this worry. I let it go. Instead of clenching and holding on and holding our breath. It's amazing how we do that in life. I, a couple of, uh, a little over a year ago, I was asking the Lord for a word. You know how we all ask the Lord for a word? Lord, would you speak to me? Give me a word. I just need a word from you, God. And, and the Lord, I, I, well, this one word came to my mind, and it was this, breathe. And I thought, well, that's not God. <laughs> you know, that's just me talking to myself. Breathe. That's what God would say. Out of everything he could say, he would just say, breathe. The funny thing was that within a matter of just a few days, I had three other people look at me as I would come into different rooms or different activities and say, Scott, breathe. Breathe. I was, I was going through, I've you know, to, told you guys before, I learned how to ride a motorcycle and I was going through the safety course and I was going around the obstacle course and I was holding on and clenching real tight and I was holding my breath the whole time and the instructor said, Scott, breathe. And I realized, yeah, I'm holding my breath. I need to learn to let go. We have to let go and turn things over to God. The second practice is uh, restore your connection or your union with God. We were made for union and connection with God. We were made in his image to connect and walk in partnership with him. And, and listen to what, what Jesus says in John 17. He says, Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. God made us for partnership. You know, Lord, you're the, you're the vine, I'm the branch. And we have to stop and remind ourselves, Lord, I belong to you. Father, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit, heal my union with you. Reconnect us. I love you. I believe in you. I worship you. I trust you. Restore our union. And so part of the pause is to restore our union and connection with God. And then the final thing is to be filled with his presence, his renewing, refreshing, reinvigorating, healing presence to flow into us as the spirit of God. Uh, in in, in uh, Ephesians 3, Paul is writing a prayer that he's praying for them and for us. And he says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is, the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. We were made to be filled with the fullness of God. And he says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask 
or imagine. Just try. Try to imagine. God outdoes it, he says, according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory. So this is, this is stopping and asking the Lord to fill us, to fill us afresh with his spirit. Jesus, I pray for more of you. Fill me with your life. I ask you to allow the river of life to flow in me, your life to flow, to restore me, to heal me, to renew me, to surround me. I need more of you. Saturate me with your love. Saturate me with your life. So it's pretty simple. Let go, restore connection, and be filled. There is, by the way, a very simple free app you can get on your phone to kind of walk you through it. I'll put the link on the email this week, but it's real simple. It's just pauseapp.com, and it's free. And you have someone walking you through this, and I found it to be very, very helpful. But oh, how the Lord longs to give us peace longs to invade us with peace, to arrive in our heart and our life as the prince of peace. Paul reminds us that even in a chaotic world that we live in today, the hectic world that we live in today, that's full of challenges and problems and lists and everything else, the unbelievable, unimaginable peace can still be experienced. Philippians 4 He writes this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, God's peace, which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. The reality is we'll have turbulence in this world, tribulation in this world, as Jesus says, but we can have peace in the midst of it by asking him to come and to fill us. Jesus also wants us not only to be people who experience peace, but to expand peace. That where we go, we carry the peace of God within us that exists within our own heart, within our own life. To be a peacemaker, if you will. In in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about that. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. He says, when when you're expanding peace, when you're bringing peace, you're being like the Father. No chip off the block. You know, you're doing what God does. You're, you're bringing peace because this is his will. But there's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. You know, sometimes we get called into, you know, we just want to keep the peace so we avoid things that may need to be spoken to or addressed. But a peacemaker steps in and brings reconciliation. Let me read this definition. A peacemaker is someone who is willing to resolve both outer and inner turmoil in order to establish peace with others and within themselves. A peacekeeper, on the other hand, desires to maintain peace by avoiding conflict. This, they typically give in to the tension or steer clear of disagreement to keep others happy. The desire of of peacemaking is to reconcile, to bring together, to make whole, to, to heal And brokering peace like that, God's kind of peace, when it's between two people, there's not a winner and a loser. It's when the hearts are reconciled to God. It's not that one wins and one loses, which results in pride for one and and resentment from the other. But when, when reconciliation comes, when God's peace comes, it's when both parties surrender their will to God's will, to his government, to his reign. They lay down their rights and they declare God's the winner. 
That's where peace begins to come. Real peace is found on the level ground before the throne of God, where the only legitimate position to, to stand, to have before God is to be on our face, to be knelt in humility and yielding our hearts to him. And that's where peace comes. That's why there's so much disruption in the world, in our neighborhoods, and sometimes in our own heart, because it comes by surrendering to this this government that's talked about in the prophecy where the prince of peace walks in and we surrender. We surrender. So today, there may be areas of your life like there are there is in mine that I realize is turmoil. When we feel that turmoil, when we feel the absence of peace, it's like a warning instrument on the on your car. I've got a couple of warning instruments. And if the car gets too hot, the oil gets too low, there's these instruments. The problem is not the instrument. I could bang on the instrument and go, this thing is just, these lights are going off and I just, I'm going to get rid of these lights. That's addressing the symptom. You got to address the problem. When we have an absence of peace in our heart, God's trying to get our attention. Something is not right. Something needs to be brought to him. So we invite him into the turmoil. We invite him to come in and to speak to us about what's going on and to show us what needs to be brought before his throne, where we need to kneel and surrender before him, and he brings that peace. We can be people who not only experience that, but who give it. Uh, I'm going to end with a, a prayer, uh, the prayer of St. Francis. And actually, I'm going to read the, not the actual prayer, but I'm going to read uh, the lyrics to a song. It's a worship song we do sometimes that's um, based upon the prayer of St. Francis. And it goes like this. There's three verses in a chorus. Make me an instrument of peace. Where there is hate, let me sow love. Where there is hurt, let me bring your healing. Make me an instrument of peace. Where there is fear, let faith arise. And where there is dark or darkness, let me be your light. For it is in loving that we find love. It is in giving that we receive it is in dying that we are found. Make of me your hands and your feet, for I want to be to the people around me what you want to be to the people around me. Let's stand. Let's pray together today.